0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be together again uh, this Sunday for worship. Uh, If you are worshiping at your home, in your backyard or garage with other people, I want to encourage you uh, that that's a great thing to be doing right now. We need to do whatever we can to just remember that we are bound to each other in the body of Christ. If you are, for whatever reason, unable to do that, we understand completely. But for those who are able, I want to encourage you to turn to those who you're with and just uh, share a smile. Make sure you smile with your eyes because you probably have masks on. Um, But it's good whenever we get the chance to just touch the lives of others, and I hope that you're getting more opportunities to do that. We don't have a whole lot of good weather left, and so take advantage of the warmth that we still do have in the year and make every effort to connect with one another safely. I imagine that it's been a really busy and active week for those of you who have kids who are going back to school and so uh, we're praying for you and we know that it is not a normal and uh, easy situation, but God will get us through it. Uh, This morning I want to continue on our short series looking at the life and ministry of Barnabas and how his whole life was defined by the Ministry of Encouragement whether he was doing that through comfort and support or whether he was doing that through challenge, uh, Barnabas had this ability to be used by God for the encouragement of others. And so we want to look at his life as an example to us for how we can also be encouragers. The title of this morning's message is Bridge Builder. And uh, we're going to look at the passage that Leon read for us, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26. You know, we human beings... Are very tribal creatures we naturally organize ourselves into us and not us or otherwise known as them us and them is a very common way for us to think about the world and to organize our societies and if you think about the word us it can be a word of inclusion and solidarity like we're us but it could also be a term of exclusion and division when us bonds together and turns our back on all those who are not us. Never ever since God picked a man named Abraham and he formed out of him a large family and then ultimately a nation, and he called that nation his chosen people, the Jews have always lived in tension with other people. They had an identity formed by an us-and-not-us view of humanity. And so for the Jews, they were gripped by this idea that because they were God's chosen people and had a mission in this world, uh, there was a distinct class of people called us, and all others were not us, non-Jews, and they, as a category, defined those people as Gentiles. You've probably heard that word before. Gentiles, at least in the context of the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, just means non-Jews. And the Jews and the Gentiles lived in constant tension with one another, because when you look at the world through an us-and-not-us mentality, the the prejudice and the animosity that that often engenders causes us um, to really live at arm's length with each other. And that prejudice and that animosity ran both ways. Um, People didn't always get along well with the Jews, and the Jews didn't always get along well with other people. Well, in Acts 11, verse 19, we see that after persecution had broken out following the martyrdom of Stephen in Jerusalem, those who followed Jesus were scared for their lives and they ran. They fled uh, the persecution. And as they went, to their credit, they spread the gospel. But what's interesting, if you look at the end of verse 19, is that they spread the word only among Jews. It's not easy to overcome prejudices that are thousands of years old. And it wasn't just hatred or disdain, but it was just a blind spot as well. I remember growing up that uh, we, our family went almost exclusively to Korean churches. And so in my mind, being Christian and being Korean seemed like the same thing. I, I remember how shocked I was when I met people of other ethnicities who deeply loved Jesus, were passionate about him, were on fire for him. And I'm like, whoa, that's weird, because the only people I've ever seen act like that in my life experience were people who look like me. And so we have this, these, uh, these perspectives that narrow our view of other people. And as they went out, they were preaching the gospel, but it only occurred to them to preach it to people who were basically like them. Keep in mind that almost all the early Christians were Jews who came to Christ through faith. Then you look at at verses 20 to 21, and you see that something strange is happening, that some of the scattered Christians, and it says here, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And Greeks here is another uh, broader term that is the same thing pretty much as Gentiles, non-Jewish people. And they began to tell them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And listen to this, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. If you look at a map of the ancient Mediterranean, you'll see that Cyprus and Cyrene, and Cyrene is a, a city that is in, in what is now Libya, were hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem. So these are men who's, who were originally from places that were very far away from Jerusalem and probably well-traveled and maybe a little more diverse or broad in their worldviews. And these people began to share the gospel with non-Jews as well. And to everyone's surprise, those non-Jews, those Gentiles, were receptive to the message of the gospel and began turning their hearts over to Jesus Christ. This was not the expected result, uh, and yet God was clearly on the move. And so in Acts 11.22, in the next verse over, you see that news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So as more and more Gentiles were unexpectedly turning to Christ and receiving him through the gospel, uh, these mass conversions were reported, and I'm sure they caused quite a ripple, and eventually news reached the ears of the church's leadership in Jerusalem. To their credit, they took these reports seriously, and what they wanted to to determine was, is this real, Is, is this happening, and is God behind it? And if God is behind it, then we as the church's leaders have to also get behind it and strongly support what God is doing. Now, you have to understand that when something new is happening and it intersects with very long-standing prejudices and biases, uh, when people who never mixed before are suddenly mixing it up, you have a potentially volatile situation. So whenever you have a situation like that, a delicate, um, tense situation, It really is important who you send into that situation. There are certain people that when you throw them into a volatile situation, it's like you take barrels of gunpowder and you throw a lit match into the midst. Certain people, they're really good at sparking things, but that's not always what you want. And in this tense situation, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem were very wise and sent a man named Barnabas, who we've already met. He's someone with a clear track record of encouraging, of overcoming his own prejudices, his own selfishness, to be able to really see and hear what is happening in the lives of others. He's a person who, listen to this, he looks for the good and he looks for the God in other people's stories. Both are important because sometimes our prejudices blind us to seeing what is actually good in others, and it even blinds us to seeing where God is at work in the lives of others. So what they needed was someone who would, burn, who would build bridges and not burn them. Someone who could connect um, these new Gentile converts to the broader community of those who followed Jesus. And so they sent Barnabas. Now the main reason that the Jews had such contempt for Gentiles was because of their idolatry and their low morality and their unclean status. At least those are their stated reasons. It wasn't that they were just, they ate different food or they looked different. Those weren't the primary issues they had, but it was because they believed different things were true of the world. And as a result of those beliefs, they made choices and had practices and values that were repulsive to the Jews. You know, when you're told that something is clearly wrong for all of your life and then you see other people celebrating what you believe to be wrong, it rubs you the wrong way. It sets off alarm bells deep inside your psyche. I mean, think about that. And the truth is, most of us have evolved so that things we once thought were so bad, we realize aren't so bad. And things we thought were so good, we're coming to realize maybe aren't so good. And so we all evolve in how we view the world, but generally the, the things that repulse us about other people are not the external things, they are the deeper held things. That doesn't sound so different from our world today. And this little little picture uh, is just a, a depiction of the divided and, uh, and argumentative state of our world. Our world is so filled with tribes that are repulsed by one another, that are shouting at the top of their lungs at each other, and doing very little to really listen to what anyone else is saying. What we're rejecting in one another isn't just how we look, or how we smell, or what we eat, but we're rejecting the core worldview, the beliefs the other people hold. Things that they believe are good and true that we disagree with, and out of those differing beliefs come very different values and actions that we find... Repulsive to us. I mean, think of a tribe that you have a low view of, a low opinion of, maybe even a hatred of in our society. So many labels, so many tribes are out there. And I, I'm, not, I'm not tipping my hand to how I feel about any of these tribes, but let me just read off some of the names of the tribes that exist in our culture and think about how these, these tribe names make you feel, what they trigger inside of you. Think about those in the alt-right movement. Think about those who who would um, categorize themselves as Antifa. What about anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers, climate change deniers, flat earthers, Trump supporters, Biden supporters? Think about all these different tribes that are shouting at the top of their lungs from every platform available and not doing very much to listen. And think about the feelings that those tribes that are not your tribe awaken inside of you. Just the mention of that tribe name produces a gag reflex in some of us. Let's make it even more personal. Think about a person that you can't stand. Or think about a person who stands for something that you can't stand. You find them so repulsive in what they stand for and believe, or you, you find that they're so toxic in the things that they say that you had to actually defriend them on social media. Avoid places where they would be because you can't be around them or those ideas anymore. Now I want you to imagine that you begin hearing reports that that tribe or that person has had a profound encounter with Jesus and their whole life is beginning to change. Be honest. What would your first reaction to that news be? Let's say you are incredibly left-leaning in your politics. Uh, Think about what a person wearing a Make America Great Again t-shirt awakens in you. right? Somebody who believes Trump is the Messiah. What does that awaken you? And, And flip that around. Think about the opposite political view, what that does to you. And what would you do if you heard that in that other tribe, the gospel was spreading like fire and people were turning their lives over to Jesus Christ? What would your first reaction really be? Would it be skepticism? Would you roll your eyes? Would you feel like somehow they're they're getting off too lightly? Would you be doubtful? Would you even be bitter? When you look at verse 23... It says that when Barnabas finally arrives in Antioch as the sent emissary of the church in Jerusalem, he could tell right away that the grace of God was there. It's another way of saying that he could see in what was happening among the Gentiles that God was at work. He was behind this. This wasn't just a flash in the pan. Something seismic was happening in Antioch. And what it says, very interestingly, is that he was glad and he encouraged them or he cheered them on. That's not the typical reaction when people that you once thought very little of are suddenly becoming your brother and sister. It wasn't just human kindness and optimism that made Barnabas have this reaction. In verse 24, it says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. The NIV leaves out a very important word between verse 23 and verse 24, and that word is because. That word exists in the Greek. For some reason, the NIV didn't put it in, but it says this, basically. If you read those two verses together, Barnabas had this reaction when he saw what was happening in Antioch because he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. In other words, because he was so full of the presence and influence and thinking and attitude and heart of God, when he came to a place where God was at work, he immediately recognized it. And instead of thinking about all the history and all the bad blood, he was filled with gladness and he encouraged them. He cheered them on and said, yes, keep going. What is happening is God's work and I want to help you stay at it. It says that many other people were brought to the Lord, meaning that when Barnabas landed on the scene, he didn't put out the fire, but he gave momentum to it. What God was already doing accelerated because of Barnabas arriving on the scene, because his response was not skepticism and cross-examination and doubt. It was gladness, joy, and an attitude of encouraging and spurring on for those who are already being affected by the Spirit of God. And Barnabas wasn't just building bridges between Jews and Gentiles. He was building bridges between who these people once were and who God was making them become. And before I close today, I want to talk about one more bridge that Barnabas builds in this passage. When you look at verses 25 to 26, it says this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul... And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. One more bridge that Barnabas builds in this story is a bridge between Paul and the ministry that would define his whole life. Barnabas is seeing that God is at work, and the scale of this work is enormous. The people who hear the gospel in this great important city of Antioch, an administrative and cultural center, in fact, it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, this city is on fire with the gospel and Barnabas knows that he can't do it alone. And so he makes the nearly 300-kilometer journey from Antioch to Tarsus to find that guy Paul, remember him? We we last saw him in chapter 9 when people were threatening his life because he was such a loudmouth for the gospel, and so he fled for his life to his hometown of Tarsus, and he was just chilling there doing ministry locally and staying out of harm's way. And seeing what God is up to among the Gentiles, Barnabas gets the sense that it's time to reactivate Paul. And so he goes all the way to that city, and it wasn't like you had GPS in those days. He went to this large, large city and goes, well, I've got to find where this guy Paul is. And he spends time looking for him, asking around, following leads. And he finally locates Paul, and he says, listen, something is happening in Antioch. You've got to come back with me. And so Paul comes back with him, and for one year, they minister together, discipling the new growing church of Gentile converts to Jesus. Now you've got to remember that back in, in chapter 9, when Saul, first had, Saul and Paul are the same guy, just go by two different names, and when Paul had his conversion experience, one of the things that Jesus revealed was this. In verse 915, it says, This man, referring to Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. What that verse reveals is that it did not take Jesus by surprise that the gospel would catch fire among the Gentiles. He always knew that was going to happen, that that was part of his plan. But what's interesting is he designates Paul as his main instrument. In other words, he says, this is going to happen, and the main figure in that activity is going to be my servant Paul, who used to be the greatest enemy of Christianity. He is now going to be my chosen voice piece, mouthpiece, To bring the gospel to the Gentile world. And yet, when the first waves of conversion break out among the Gentiles, Paul is 200 miles away in another city. At this point in the story, Barnabas was the ranking leader on the ground in a seismic shift in their movement. This could have been the time for Barnabas to forever cement his place in history as the main voice. Of the Gospel to the Gentiles, people would talk about it for centuries. Do you remember when all those people who had no chance of becoming Christians suddenly became our brothers and sisters in Christ, and who was at the the, the the head of the spear? It was this guy Barnabas, but instead of taking that credit and staying in the spotlight, Barnabas understood that this was the ministry to which Paul had been called, and so he makes this long journey and he connects. Paul, who at this point in the story is a fairly anonymous figure, forgotten and out of sight in a faraway city of Tarsus. And he builds a bridge back to Antioch and says, Paul, it's time for you to connect to your life's calling. And from this point in the story, Paul of Tarsus would become the central figure in the entire book of Acts. He would become the one person apart from Jesus that almost everyone else associates with the Christian faith. And Barnabas would become a postscript in that history. One of the reasons I delight to preach on Barnabas is because he played such an important role at such an important moment in the faith story, the development of Christianity, and yet his name is not readily remembered by most people. And so I want to honor this man Barnabas because history doesn't remember him well but I believe he is a person greatly honored by God because he was a bridge builder and an encourager who connected other people to what God was doing and to one another. We live in really divided times and I think it's so important that we have more bridge builders who love and serve Jesus in our world. It takes very little effort and maturity to burn bridges. That's an easy thing to do. But building bridges is much harder work. I don't believe we can build bridges in our present society without the power and presence and calling of God. But I also believe that some in our church are being called right at this moment to commit the rest of our lives to be build bridge, bridge builders and not bridge burners. I know that God has given you a temperament and a heart and a calling to play that role in His kingdom. And if ever our world needed bridge builders, it's now, it's today. And so I exhort you in the name of Jesus, if he is calling you to the ministry of bridge building, rise to that call. You'd be amazed at what lasting fruit can be born by just one life that decides to be a connector rather than a destroyer. Is God calling you? To build bridges. One of the greatest forms of encouragement is to realize that you are divided from a place you want to be by a great expanse. And then someone comes and builds a bridge that connects you to the place you wish to be. What a great encouragement it is to think, that's impossible for me. And all of a sudden, someone says, no, it is not. And in the name and power of God, they build a bridge for you to cross. That could be your joy and your testimony if you were to respond to his call today. We're going to have the praise team lead us in a closing song, and I want to encourage you to sing along to that and let that be a prayer for you. But if God is at work in your heart and you just need to have a moment of quiet and stillness to reflect, to respond in your own heart to what he's saying to you, I want to encourage you to do that as well. And When we're done with the song, I'll come back and, and dismiss us with a word of blessing. We live in a world divided, where tribe has lined up against tribe, and we see people as either us or not us. And into this divided world, Jesus came to be the ultimate bridge builder between a lost humanity and God, who loves us. And He now calls us. He may be calling some of you very specifically to join Him in this powerful ministry of building bridges May we become a people who build bridges, not those who burn them. And through us, may many people be connected to one another and to their calling and destiny in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, be blessed now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church.